Thanks very much. Hello, everybody. Hey, you can be seated. Thank you, Ben, doing a phenomenal job this morning leading us in worship. Greetings from New Zealand, a land just to your right, simultaneously two hours ahead and 20 years behind Australia. So I am at the same time a throwback and a glimpse into your future. A backdated but fashion-forward cocktail mix of regret and dreadful premonitions. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Pastor Hartley and Natalie, for affording me the privilege of standing on your stage again. I love your pastors. I think maybe the most good-looking senior pastors in the C3 movement, I'd say. Mind you, that's, that's like reaching into a toilet bowl and pulling out a gold watch, isn't it? Um, the rest of us are no oil paintings, but... Uh, I always, I always tell people that if I lived in Sydney, this is the church that I would go to, and Hartley and Natalie are big reasons for that. So could you help me to honour your pastors this morning? Hey, um, hey, let me show you some pictures of my uh, children, because I saw somebody do this once, and I immediately liked them more, so I hope that this trick of the trade works on you as well. Uh, this is Sasha. I think we've got some photos here. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. That, that is not. That is Sasha. This is Sasha here. She is seven. Now, I actually caught her in the act of fitting the toilet bowl with Glad Wrap, and we don't know where she got the idea to do that. So she is a genius, but she may be a criminal genius. So just, just pray for us. Uh, this is Lucy. She turns five tomorrow. She's a four-time ballerina of the week at Miss Amy's Dance Academy, so we're very proud of her. And this is Wesley. Uh, he lives in a bucket. <laughs> He's three. That's my boy. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, this isn't one of my children. This is actually uh, my bride, Dawn. We've been married for 12 years in October, and she still looks like that, just like that whereas I've aged like a pear. And uh, I, know what you're th I know what you're thinking. Um, it doesn't add up, right? This and this doesn't add up. But for whatever reason, C3 men tend to punch extraordinarily above their weight. It's ridiculous. Um, case in point, Leon. Congratulations to you, Leon, and your fiancé, but I saw the picture and thought, that just doesn't add up. Like, <laughs> if you saw them in public, you'd go, well, of course, you know, that's, you know, he's her backup dancer or, or he's <laughs> her bodyguard or whatever. But if you found out, as we found out, that he had persuaded her to marry him, you'd be shocked. And I'm not insulting my friend Leon at all, when I say that, you must be thinking, how did I pull that one off? You've pulled off the ultimate heist, you old swipe of the fox. And, and that's not an isolated incident when I look around the room today. Just looking around, I see plenty of examples of further total eclipses of the female heart. So this, my wife and me, is on trend my friend. It may not add up on the scales of coupling justice, but somehow, mysteriously, I got that girl to marry me. And I think I've figured out how. Here's the secret. Boys, lean in. 
every girl loves a project. <laughs> and I, and I am the ultimate fixer-upper. And with just 17 years of intense renovation, she's seen me blossom from an idiot to an imbecile. <laughs> from a two out of 10 to a solid 3.5. And nobody can take the sense of achievement that that gives her away from her. Men, what qualities do you look for, or what qualities did you look for in a spouse? Physically attractive, great sense of humor, similar interests. Not everyone can afford to be so choosy. <laughs> but even the most desperate of men, even the most desperate of men would probably insist on this quality in a potential bride, as a minimum, a pulse. <laughs> but not God. And that, my friends, is what you call a segue. Not God. God chose a dead woman to be his bride. We read in Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sin. And this is what happens to every member in the bride of Christ. Before we can look pretty or sound intelligent or prove faithful, we had to be raised from death to life. We had to be born again. Christ loved us before we were beautiful. And that is a testament to the greatness of his love. And sometimes I think to myself, how did I pull this one off? I became a Christian on June the 6th, 1999, 6.46 p.m., I remember it well. I can't believe that I get to be a part of the church, that I get to be a part of the bride. I mean, I was dead in trespasses and sin, and Christ, who owed me nothing, in fact, he is the very one to whom I owed my debt. But he made me alive. And he made me to be a part of the bride, the church. This is crazy. And the fact is, you and I didn't pull this one off at all. This is totally owing to the grace of God. I think part of our problem sometimes, and a part of the reason why church is not always all it could be for us is that we have too small a vision of God and of what he is doing on the earth among us. I think that sometimes in the church we lose sight of the big picture and so we end up becoming fixated on the trivial and when we do, when our vision of God is too small, grasshoppers can appear like giants the small things can seem like the big things, and we can rob ourselves of the true pleasure of what church could be. So I'd love to give you a bigger vision of God and of what he is doing on the earth today because it's truly breathtaking. I want to start this morning just by providing something of a very simple biblical overview, okay? First, God created. He created mankind in his image to perfectly reflect his glory. The earth is his and everything in it, and he is the author of all life. 
Next, we see that we rebelled. This is the doctrine of the fall. We sinned. And consequently, we all became sinners by nature and by choice. The wages of sin is death and ultimately eternal punishment. God pursued. The Old Testament is the historical account of God pursuing his fallen children. And it also shows us that we need a savior from sin because we can't meet the righteous requirements of the law. God became flesh. This is the doctrine of incarnation. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us. In Jesus, God became as one of us to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we deserve to. And he did that when he died on the cross. Jesus acted as a substitute for us, taking our sin upon himself, paying the price for it, that if we put our faith in him, then our debt to God that we owe him on account of our sin is completely erased and we can be reconciled to God. Next we see that Jesus rose, the doctrine of the resurrection, and rising from the dead, he definitively overcame sin and death so that we too, through him, when we are in him, we might overcome sin and death if our faith is indeed in him. Now, up until this point, this is an amazing story. The story of Scripture is the greatest and the most significant story of all stories. And here, at this point, amazingly, we find ourselves in the story. This story is not about us. The story of Scripture is about God. But we are in this story as we see that Jesus established and commissioned the church. We are a part of a group of people who are knit together by God to encourage one another in our faith and in our following of Jesus and to tell others about him until he comes again. And scripture doesn't just look back to all that God has done or to what he is doing among us presently, but it also looks forward to a glorious culmination to the story. And so I thought what I'd like to try to do this morning is to use one of the looking forward texts to try to give us a greater appreciation for what we are part of here and now and also the far surpassing weight of glory of what's in store for us if we are living by faith in Jesus Christ and if we are a part of this awesome community that we call the church. And so allow me to begin by reading this morning Matthew 25 verses 1 through to 13, the parable of the ten virgins. I'm reading from the ESV. Would you read along with me? And uh, we'll pray together and ask God to speak to us through his word. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. 
And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for you and for us, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that you would open our eyes this morning that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear and help us to receive with humility your word. Help me to serve my friends well. I pray this for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. The name that we have given to the field of theology concerning matters pertaining to the culmination of the biblical narrative and beyond is eschatology. The parable of the ten virgins is an eschatological parable and it draws on and centers on the imagery of a royal wedding. You may be aware that this is not the only eschatological parable of Jesus that uses this imagery, the imagery of a royal wedding. Just a few chapters earlier, in fact, there was the parable of the wedding feast. And in the parable of the wedding feast, the kingdom of heaven is revealed to be like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. When the time came for the feast, he sent out word to various invited guests, come and join with us as we celebrate. Now just think about that for a moment. What an amazing invitation it would be for a commoner to be invited to the table of the king to celebrate in the marriage of his son. I mean, I barely made the cut for the guest list for my daughter's frozen-themed fifth birthday party this Saturday, and I'm paying for it. But this... This is a truly prestigious event. Those who received the invitation should have sat back and thought, how did I pull this one off? And yet, bizarrely, many of those who were invited came back to the king just offering him all sorts of excuses and reasons as to why they were unable to attend. I mean, would you believe that some even went as far as to mistreat and even murder the servants that were sent to them to extend this gracious invitation to them on behalf of the king. But this whole scene is just so weird. A king has invited commoners to a royal celebratory feast, a wedding feast for his son. And they've got something more important to do that day. They have something else on. I mean, how bizarre is that? Well, it's just about as bizarre as somebody receiving the gracious and undeserved invitation to turn from their sins and to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation from sin and death and the wrath of God, but deciding instead that they'll just hold out for a better 
offer. Understandably, this kind of snub greatly displeased the king. And so he opens the invitation to the banquet wide. We read that the king decrees in Matthew 22 verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Well, if you are a Christian... This is your testimony. You were found and you were gathered and you were invited in. An invitation to a glorious party, which at one time you were not invited to, has been extended to you. You have become a part of the church. But still, many who are invited will not come. Verse 14 makes clear the point of this parable here in Matthew 22. Many are called, but few are chosen. Chosen, Or we might say, all are invited. Whomsoever will come, may come. But tragically, so few come. Many who could come still bizarrely choose not to come. It's a tragedy. And then there is this Startling interaction between the king and a man who had come to the feast without wearing wedding clothes. We read in Matthew 22, verse 11, When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, when you come to the marriage feast of the son, you must come appropriately dressed. And the only suitable attire with which to clothe yourself with to come to this feast is faith. Faith in Christ. That's the parable of the wedding feast. And now, just a few chapters along, from this parable, we find the parable of the ten virgins, another eschatological parable that heavily relies on the imagery of a royal wedding. Now, what's with all these references to a royal wedding, you ask? Well, it's because the culmination of the great story of Scripture is that Jesus is returning for his bride, as it were. The bride of Christ is comprised of all those who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, all those who live by faith in him, people from every tribe and tongue. The church is his bride. He came over 2,000 years ago to be crucified for his bride, thus securing her as his own. And here and now, until he comes again, his bride, the church, is pictured as being the ones who are eagerly and hopefully awaiting his arrival, preparing themselves for his coming. And we don't know precisely when his coming will be, but we do know that when he comes a second time, it will be to claim his bride and to take her, to take us, to take the church into the kingdom of heaven, where we will experience a fullness of joy forevermore. Everyone who trusts in Jesus and lives by faith in him belongs to his bride. 
Sadly, not every person will attend the wedding feast of the sun. As popular as the idea of universalism may be in the world today, it's not a biblical idea. There will be some who take their place responding to the great invitation of the gospel to come and to dine with God for eternity. And there will be some who do not, and they will tragically but justly be left outside of a shut door for eternity. That's just the truth. So before we briskly walk through this parable, I simply say this to you. Trust in Jesus Christ. Remain in him. Respond to him today with faith. He is the only one who can give you the clothes that you need. And he wants to. He really wants to. If you will turn from sin and trust him, he will make you to be a part of his bride forever. I mean, a king has invited you to a feast. What else have you got on today? That's more important than that. Yeah. Okay. Verse 1, Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now this is really important to note when we're looking at this parable. The ten virgins here represent the visible church. Okay? This is a representation of all of those who profess to be Christians. These virgins are obviously not exactly like the invited guests in the other parable who wanted nothing to do with the marriage feast. These are people who are expectant. They are gathering to wait for the arrival of the bridegroom, and they expect, they hope to be attending the wedding feast once he comes. They love the idea of the bridegroom coming to take them to be where he is going. They love the idea of heaven, and yet not all of them will be there. Verse 2 Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So this is really sobering to see. That even among the visible church, even among those who profess to be Christians, there are some who on the day of judgment will be declared foolish, while others will be declared wise. All ten virgins were to be ready and waiting when the bridegroom came with brightly burning, burning lights when he arrived. They were to be on fire for him. That was their calling. That is our calling. Be ready. Be prepared. He's coming. Have your lamps and have more than enough oil ready so that when he comes, you are found to be faithful, wise, and shining, ready for his arrival. But some of the virgins were not faithful. Some of them were not ready when the great moment that they had gathered to wait for came and the bridegroom actually arrived. They had no oil. They were supposed to provide light and they had lamps but they had no oil 
for their lamps. By all appearances, they looked ready. But it was all shown to be a facade. They had religion, but they did not have saving faith. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, the seal of their adoption. They were in the church. They just weren't actually the church because the church will be shown to be those who are ready for his coming. When the bridegroom comes, when Christ returns, even among the visible church, some will have oil and will be called wise, and others won't, and they will be called foolish. It's as simple and as sobering as that. Look with me to verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. Sidebar, Jesus gives us a heads up here that his return will be delayed. People have been speculating about the time of his return from about the moment that he ascended out of view. Don't be discouraged by his delay in coming. In no way does it make him any less faithful regarding his promises to you. I'm not sure whether you're aware of this or not, but there was a circus last year around a series of lunar eclipses. Books were written and sold in Christian bookstores claiming that these blood moons were some kind of prophetic signpost ushering in some sort of major event of apocalyptic significance and they didn't listen a lot of pesky charlatans and frauds will write books claiming that they know the day or the hour of the bridegroom's return they don't they don't don't fall for it it's garbage Sadly, it seems to me there are some in my church, the same people who fall for the latest flop of an end-of-the-world prediction, they will line up to fall for the next one too. And it makes you think, when did Christians become so gullible? These carnival barkers are on the level with the man who will sell tinfoil hats to stop the government stealing your brainwaves or the woman who will offer to give you your future by reading her cat's paws. You know the ones. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. The bridegroom won't arrive until the Father says, go now, Son, for your bride, and if not even the Son knows when the time will be, neither does some quack, money-hungry American author from Kansas or wherever. Listen, it's not for you to know the day nor the hour. It's for you to be ready. Big picture, this is what the church is about. Readying ourselves for the return of Christ, proclaiming the truth of the gospel to as many as possible so that they too can ready themselves while there's still time. And everything else is comparatively trivial. 
Suddenly we move from the sleeping of verse 5 to the cry of verse 6. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The cry goes out, he's here, take out your lamps, go out to meet him. Paul continues to the Thessalonians, verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is going to happen someday. These are not mere words, this is not poetry, these are stunning future realities. You can confidently put all of your hope in this happening. And what we see now is a very sober warning to us as the church to be ready. Verse 7, all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Those in the church who trust in their good works or their religious endeavor to be saved are like the virgins who trusted in those empty lamps. All of the virgins had good works, as it were. All of the virgins had religious endeavor. They all had lamps. But the wise did not trust in their lamps. These foolish virgins did not wake up to their true state and their own desperate need until it was far too late. And when they woke up, they frantically groped for the impossible. But while faith can be shared, faith can't be borrowed. If you don't have it for yourself, when the bridegroom comes... It's just too late. So in desperation, these foolish virgins who had been in church every Sunday but yet had ignored their true state and the looming arrival of the bridegroom whom it was all from, for, and about, they just hysterically set out to search for the impossible. Instant end-time faith. In verse 10, while they were going to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And afterwards the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Those are terrifying words which will be heard by some at the end of the age. When Jesus comes back, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And the door was shut, never to be opened again. And some will be on the outside. And some who will be on the outside were members of the church. But were they though? Were they? They had shape, but they had no substance. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. And others would have looked at them and assumed that they had life, they had faith, they had the Holy Spirit, 
But then the bridegroom arrived and they were exposed in the light of his glory. All they had was an empty lamp, a dish cleaned on the outside. But listen, it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. And in just a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can ask God tonight to give you the clothes that you need, to give you the oil that you need, and he never refuses. You can ask God. The door is still open. There is still time, an indefinite amount of time, but there is still time. And if you will call upon his name, then you too can take your seat at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, celebrating in the presence of the Lord forever. And whatever else the church is all about, it's about this. We are inviting you to this party on his behalf. Before I do that, and as we close, let me just say this to those of us who hope in the Lord and are ready with lamp and oil who trust in him as our inexhaustible source. How did we pull this one off? How did we, who were dead, come to be a part of this great occasion, to be a part of the bride of Christ, no less? It is all owing to God's grace. And so as we consider the future of the church, the house of God, let's remember that. Let's celebrate that. And let's love the church with all that we have while we wait for our blessed hope. The king has invited us to a party. In church life, you will be wronged and you will need to forgive. And you will wrong, and you'll need to ask for forgiveness. Things won't always happen the way that you'd hoped or the way that they should. This old girl, the church, is not without stain or wrinkle or blemish. But he will be. He will be faithful to this promise to sanctify us having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word so that he might present us, the church, to himself in splendor. To me, this is the most transformative thought that I could possibly have about the church and the thing which will have the greatest impact in forming the way that I live in the church, serve in the church, relate to each other in the church. This is a group of commoners. Undeserving. Imperfect. Who sometimes don't scrub up all that well. And yet the king has invited us to a party. How did we pull that one off? Let's all bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes.
On that day, some will be called foolish and some will be called wise. The church will be called wise. The true church. But this morning, a door is open for you to walk through. All of us, every one of us here, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And none of us, by our own good works, by our own efforts, none of us can pay the debt that we owe to God on account of our sin. But the Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus. He came and he lived the life that we could never live. He died the death that we should have died. And he's made it so if we put our faith and our trust in him, we can have salvation and eternal life. And on that day when he returns, he surely will. We can be called wise. So I'm asking you this morning to make a wise decision. Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision for Christ. In fact, this is all new to you. But as I'm preaching, you know that this morning you need to make a decision. Say yes to this great invitation. Or maybe you're here and you're just realizing that what you have is a lamp, but no oil, no internal life and power. And you want to come back and get right so that you too on that day will be called wise. Well, Right now, every eye is closed and every head is bowed. And I want to ask you, if that's you, would you just put your hand up in the air so that I can see you? Once I see you, I'll acknowledge you. And I'd love to pray with you. Is that you? Would you put your hands up? Looking around the auditorium right now, just place your hand up really high in the air so that I can see. I'd love to pray with you this morning want to come to Jesus for the first time or come back to him this morning. Above all else, that's what we exist for, to invite you to this party. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand nice and high so I can see it, just as we're concluding the service now. Is there anybody here this morning? We don't want to rush this because I know that sometimes you need some time just to think and to come to terms with the decision, but would you lift your hands up nice and high so that I can see it, and I'd love to pray with you as we conclude the service. Fantastic. Would you all stand with me this morning? I'm just going to pray with you briefly, and I'm happy to pray with anyone after the service. 
But let me just pray for your church today. Father, Lord, I pray that this church would keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, that we wouldn't get distracted with the trivial. Lord, we would keep our eyes fixed on the faithfulness and the grace of God so that on that day when you return, we would be reckoned to be wise and we would take our seat on that day at that great wedding feast on the right side of a door shut fast for our eternity experiencing a fullness of joy forevermore and put that hope in our hearts now God so that we can live patiently and faithfully for you make this church shine like a city on a hill that cannot be hid. We pray for pastors Hartley and Natalie. Bless them with wisdom and power from on high so that they would preach and people would come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Thank you, God, that you are faithful to complete that which you began in us on that day of Christ Jesus. Who else has a God like ours? Thank you, God, for your grace. Come on, let's worship the Lord this morning. Thank Him for His love. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling.